1: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 441st episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is, in the words of the New York Times, a, quote, comic genius, close quote, and, quote, one of the most successful comedians of his era, close quote. A Canadian, he emerged from the world of improv, specifically the Second City troops of Toronto and Chicago. He rose to prominence in the world of sketch after joining NBC's Saturday Night Live in 1989, and he became a full-fledged movie star through his work in three immensely popular film series, those built around Wayne's World, Austin Powers, and Shrek, in each of which he played the title character. Now, after a long period of taking on few and exclusively smaller parts, he is back in a project which dropped last week, doing what he does better than anyone else playing multiple characters in a project of his own creation, namely the Netflix comedy series The Pentaverite, Mike Myers. Over the course of our conversation, one of very few interviews he has granted over the course of his career, the 58-year-old and I discussed how his childhood in Canada inspired several of his most famous characters, from Wayne Campbell to Austin Powers, the challenges and rewards of playing multiple characters in the same project, which he first did on film in 1993's So I Married an Axe Murderer, a film which also spawned the idea for the Pentaveret. why he has taken numerous years-long hiatuses from the screen, and why he came back for the Pentaveret, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Mike, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Great to see you, and, uh, On this podcast, we always go back truly to the beginning. I wonder if you can tell our listeners, where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a
0: living? I was born in Toronto, Canada, and uh, my dad sold encyclopedias. My mom worked in the office of a factory.
1: Now, prepping for this, I I got a pretty clear sense that you and your dad had a very special bond and probably is in large part why you got into comedy. Is that fair to say?
0: 100% true, yeah. My dad uh, was born in Liverpool, England, and uh, he uh, loved comedy and uh, loved Peter Sellers and he basically loved show business. And uh, my mom was an actress. And uh, when I suggested doing something other than acting, they were like, well, why would you do that, fool, mate? <laughs> you know?
1: Well, and in fact, you started at a very early age, right? I mean, what was the first commercials
0: and stuff that you were doing? I um I did television commercials when I was a kid. Actually Gilda Radner played my mom in a <laughs> television commercial for British Columbia Hydro, which oh is Oh my god. They call the the, the electric company there. And <laughs> um um yeah, I did uh I used to remember hold on Kit Kat Applejack, Sunlight, BC Hydro, Datsun, Kmart Shoes, Wrigley and <laughs> Gum. I used to have it memorized for auditions. That That's just great. came to my ankles.
1: <laughs> now I guess you know, it it became more of a, a decision of yours to pursue this as you got a little bit older and we're going on auditions or stuff. I mean, at what point did you decide
0: it was what you really actually were interested in doing? I actually think, I don't remember not wanting to do this. So my parents weren't, they weren't show, you know, stage parents. Um, I really wanted to do it. I, I just, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know why, I, I just always just wanted to do it. I don't remember wanting to do anything else. And uh, it's interesting because I guess, you know, you hear
1: about um, people coming to a fork in the road and, and really their life can go in one of two directions. It seems like for you, pretty much right at the end of high school,
0: you had that moment, right? Well, I, on my last day of high school, my, my last exam was at nine o'clock, sorry, yes. My last exam was at 9 o'clock. I auditioned for the Second City Theatre Company in Toronto at 12 o'clock, and I was hired at 3 o'clock. Wow. So I went literally on my last day of high school into being a professional actor, and this was in the the touring company of the Second City in Toronto. And, um, yeah, that's
1: what I wanted to do. But wasn't there also, there was a, a moment, I thought, perhaps even on that same day, where you could just as easily have gone on and become... You know, Canada's John Cassavetes or something, right? You were interested in film school?
0: Well, I, I got accepted to York University, the film program, um, the same day. And I thought I would do Second City for, you know, a couple months, see if I liked it. And then I wanted to direct documentaries. That was my my big thing. I also wanted to be, uh, I wanted to create a Canadian new wave, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh Truffaut who was my hero and uh Jean-Luc Godard and uh God uh Louis Malle the, these were the filmmakers uh and I guess in an essence I would have been a Canadian Cassavetes because in many ways Cassavetes was the American right. uh, new wave director but I I really wanted to have like a film collective and 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 do that and then uh, I just kept working so And for Second City, I I wonder, you know, I think people have a a kind of
1: vague idea of what that means with improv and all of that. But I wonder if you can explain, because you were doing it first in Toronto, then in Chicago. Yeah. And you said that your hero was this guy Del Close. And I wonder if you can talk about why that was.
0: Del Close was amongst many heroes that I've had. Del Close was one of the founding members of Second City in Chicago, and he Uh, along with Elaine May and Mike Nichols uh, invented the, the language of improv comedy more than anything, he taught creativity and uh, he taught just that there's a unity in all the, all the creative arts, you know what I mean? But he had many, many key sort of uh, phrasings of stuff. One of the things that he said is don't invent, remember. And uh, you know, the end is in the beginning. He had a lot of, Stuff of all art is transformation. Uh you know, even painting for him was transformation to the extent that paint is constantly drying, so it's moving as well. Mm-hmm. So everything is transforming, everything that's made. And this kind of unified theory of creativity, there isn't a day that I don't quote Del Close. Um it's kind of everything that I've I've enjoyed. He wrote stuff down, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. including the rules of improv with Elaine May and um, just being a a real source of inspiration. When you
1: were working with him and at Second City uh, was I mean, today, I think the the, many people who come out of there, the the dream from the beginning is SNL. Was that the case for you or, you know, was SNL something that was not as much on your radar in those days coming from Canada or?
0: No, no. Saturday Night Live was. I mean, I, I I, had done a TV commercial with Gilda Radner playing my mom. Right. Uh, I literally fell in love with her, like love. And <laughs> I wasn't alone. Almost everybody that met Gilda Radner fell in love with her. On day, It was a four-day shoot, which is kind of amazing. But on that fourth day, I cried like a baby. And my brothers were like, what are you crying about, sucky baby? <laughs> and I was like, nothing. And then they said, you're... Uh, your girlfriend's on a show on Saturday and it was Saturday night live. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I did actually literally turn to everybody and say, I'm going to be on that show. I would love to be on that show. Having no idea that I would, or that the show would even be there when I was old enough to be on the show. But, uh, it was a real dream come true. I really, you know, I love that show.
1: I should say Lauren Michaels is also a, uh, compatriot, right? I guess, what is it about Canada?
0: There's so many of our funniest,
1: people have come out of canada
0: i think for me it was that it was possible do you know what i mean i knew i could be a hockey player uh i knew i could be a comedian that it was possible to come from there and and do that and uh there is something about canada where we're an observer nation you know what i mean we never really had like the idea of canada being a melting pot we're more of a salad bowl it's we're not america we're not France, we're not England, we're this other thing. And um, you could be anybody you wanted to be. You could be, it's a very, very free society, Canada. Uh, I'm very grateful to have grown up there. The other thing too is uh, they take care of their artists. You know what I mean? I, I don't have a problem with government. I think government is the level playing field. I think, you know, I went to a fantastic high school. I grew up in government assisted housing. I took the bus that was, you know, won the award every year, the Toronto Transit Commission, and I got to work at the CBC. And uh, while I wasn't terribly good, uh, they still allowed me to work there and and learn. You know, so I'm I I, I don't believe that uh, I don't necessarily believe in unlimited authority, but I believe that the government is 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 a possible agent of a level playing field. Sure, I think that that you're allowed to find out who you are in Canada. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful to the Canadian taxpaying public.
1: And you have paid homage to them in many of your many of your projects. I can't <laughs> help it. Right. Well so what was your first indication that, that SNL was actually aware of and, and interested in you? And then do you remember how that how that played out? Uh, was it one of these things we hear always, you know, had a number of other Uh, SNL alums on this, on this podcast. And it seems like it's always a bit of a vague thing with, with Lauren. He's not very direct about what, what is going on in the casting process.
0: Well, I, I, uh, I, I just happened to, cause I moved to Chicago second city from Toronto second city, the main stage company there that just happened to make me an alumni of the, of the second city, Toronto, just, by coincidence or just by happenstance. And, uh, I was in the 15th anniversary show of, of second city, Toronto. And I did, uh, a, a Wayne sketch. I, I played Wayne Campbell and, uh, it just, it just played huge. It just was one of those. I, I turned to Dave Foley at the intermission and I said, what am I doing here? I mean, I'm, this is ridiculous. I'm just on a technicality on the alum, and uh, an alumnus, and he was like, "No, no, dude, what do you got coming out?" I said, "Well, I'm going to be doing Wayne's World. He goes, "You'll be fine," which was very lovely. So I gathered my confidence, and I just, I, I just sold it, and, and it just played huge. And then I was in Chicago, and I got a call, and it was hold for Lauren Michaels. I thought it was my brother Paul <laughs> calling all the time, as different people. And it was like, you know, would you like to be on Saturday Night Live? And I said, yes. And then I came, and I didn't even know I was fully hired. And I'm in New York. And uh, then I was part of the – I was a featured player in 1989.
1: So at that point, you are 26. You're joining a, a company that includes Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, Dennis Miller, David Spade, a whole bunch of others. Well,
0: yet. yeah. Not yet. Okay. Uh, Kevin Nealon, Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, uh, Jan Hooks. Oh God, uh, Victoria Jackson. Ooh, I'm missing somebody. Uh, I don't mean to. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, and I think that's it. And uh, it was an all star cast. I was, I, I, was like, oh my God, these guys are so good because I, I hadn't watched. I, I, I had been working at Second City on Saturdays. Uh, I had a, I had a VHS player, but it was a top-loading VHS, VHS, and it was a choice between the Toronto Maple Leafs and Saturday Night Live. <laughs> it was always going to be the Toronto Maple Leafs. Right. I didn't know how fantastic they were, right? And uh, and how great the writing was, and all that stuff. And um, I'm sort of glad I didn't know because uh, I would have been more intimidated than I was. But um, yeah, it was an all-star cast. It was unbelievable
1: and and what i guess was it an a, an adjustment or the fact that you'd been performing live almost nightly i guess with second city to then go uh doing it once a week maybe you were maybe it wasn't a, a, as intimidating as it might be for others
0: coming from like a working class family who even though i am ironically related to wordsworth the poet and that's an <laughs> actual fact and the act <laughs> of dynasty in england um I was never really to the manner born and I never thought that anything was going to be handed to me. I knew I'd have to work hard. And the only thing that my parents, in addition to saying, you know, you should be an actor is you have to study and you have to outwork people. And I think there's a little bit of a working class, blue collar, understanding that you got to work hard. Um, And the other thing that was ingrained in me is that you're in service. The audience is your boss. And that's something my, my parents really drilled into me. And I still feel that to, to this day, you know. I'm not an I've suffered for my art, now it's your turn type of performer. I'm definitely, I like to entertain. And I, I re- recognize that people, when they come to see my stuff, are spending, you know, the ticket plus parking, plus babysitter, plus Diet Coke, plus popcorn... And uh, I I like to make sure that they have their money's worth, you know, Mm -hmm, but that's mm -hmm. a working class thing that is drilled into me, certainly.
1: Absolutely. Well, can I just note uh, three of the many memorable characters that you created during your six years? There, exactly six years, by the way, right? I think it was to the day. Um, Just any anything you can share about where these actually originally came from or how, you know, were they fun for you to do? Obviously, you've already just mentioned, so let's start with with Wayne Campbell, Wayne's World. Um, you know, anyone who needs a a reminder, I'd be surprised if they do. But Wayne Campbell, Garth Algar, heavy metal fans with a public access TV show. You and Dana Carvey from your very first episode. That was a that was a sketch. Uh,
0: it was actually episode three. Episode three. Okay, sorry. Episode one. I had a small part in a sketch episode two, I didn't make the show and I thought I was getting fired. And then episode three, I got a, a sketch on and I didn't realize that that is actually fast. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, That's it. I'm out. You know, that was my chance. Um, Wayne Campbell comes from growing up in Scarborough, Ontario, which is Scarborough is a suburb of Toronto. Uh, it's a very working class suburb. It's very flat. It's a lot of uh, factory carpet outlets, Tim Hortons and, uh, car dealerships and hydro fields or electrical fields with the pylons. And uh, that's how I, I actually, that is my accent as a child is, <laughs> is Wayne Campbell. And uh, it was my experience in the suburbs of Toronto. And that's, that's, you know, that's literally listening to Bohemian Rhapsody, literally, you know, talking in that way.
1: Would you, were those actual sort of sayings what that you would, have used back when you were a kid?
0: Yes. Yes, 100%. <laughs> and again, that's still close. Don't even remember, right. you know, so. Right, right, right. Well, then let's go to
1: uh, Dieter, the pretentious host of German TV's Sprockets. Um, <laughs> take it away.
0: Well, uh, Dieter is, uh, the the look of Dieter is based on this fantastic German performance artist named uh, Klaus Nomi. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, I grew up in a very, very pop cultural house. And anytime me and my brothers saw something that was truly, truly bizarre and weird, we clung to it and loved it. Um, It is a a parody of something I'd never seen at that point, which is German television. (laughs) But it's what I imagined German television to be like. And imagine what the sort of avant-garde art world was (laughs) like, you know. And that was a tremendous amount of fun. It was just sort of that, that side of me that was very into German films, French films, and all that right. stuff.
1: Right. Well, uh, that brings us to Linda Richman, the Barbara Streisand-obsessed, frequently uh host of Coffee Talk. This one actually has a, a familial co- connection as well, right?
0: Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, I, I, I based the character on uh, my mother-in-law at the time, and uh, I just didn't believe that the New York accent was for real growing up in Toronto. I thought it was, uh, (laughs) I thought it was just something. It was like almost an accent of, of entertainment. You know what I mean? And then when I got to New York and everybody's like, you know, coffee, daughters, dogs. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I fell in love with New York before I was in New York. And to me, it's, it's a love letter to New York city. And uh, I still live in New York. And I love it. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, second, I came to New York for the audition for Saturday Night Live, which was a meeting. I didn't actually audition, thank God, because I'm terrible at auditioning. But <laughs> I knew I was home. You know, there's a few places that just you instantly kind of go, yeah, hmm I could mm-hmm. live here.
1: Now, I, I went back to revisit a few of the clips. And um, one that I came upon was when, Barbara Streisand surprised, I, I think surprised even you. Like, did you know that she was going to be showing up?
0: Lauren said, uh, Be prepared. Barbara might come. I'm like, <laughs> Barbara Streisand? And so the stage manager had a hand signal, which was this, if she comes. But I, of course, live TV, I completely forgot. <laughs> and all of a sudden he's doing this, this, and this. And then I go, If you just look at it, I'm just sort of going like this to Joe Dixo, the stage manager. And he goes, and then said, "Because I'm like, oh my gosh, she actually did come. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, I think Madonna did know, and uh, God, Roseanne did not know. And mm-hmm. it was that was one of the definitely one of the highlights of. I mean, I already had Roseanne and Madonna in the sketch. Okay. they like
1: <laughs> totally no. She's,
0: was- She's every bit the the legend. My father loved." Barbara Streisand, I—I I, it's not that I wasn't a fan. I just it—it it didn't come my way like say something like Burt Bacharach did in my childhood. But I've since become more of a fan since meeting her. And of course, I—I I did her show at the MGM Grand. Yes, yes. And at Madison Square Garden. Um, I always want to call it Madison Square Gardens, like <laughs> Gardens. Uh, but. She came out and sang and she sang like a it was like a bell, like it was like an instrument that was perfectly in tune. And uh that's when I really truly became like the biggest Barbra Streisand fan ever. That's great. She just it was like a jet taking off, dude. It was unbelievable.
1: Nice, nice. Well she's
0: lovely too, by the way. Just a lovely lady as well.
1: I believe uh we were we were lucky enough to have her on this podcast, and I believe we we talked about you're, she loves, it's mutual, it's mutual, so yeah. Uh, but uh, now, during your hiatuses, uh, during those six years, you were you were always pretty busy, and that included, I guess, both of the Wayne's World movies in 92 and 94, and I just wonder, um, you know, no movie inspired by an SNL sketch had ever had that kind of success. Why do you think that was, and why do you think you guys were able to defy that? I have
0: no idea. <laughs> uh I I didn't know they were gonna make it. I didn't know it was gonna be released and I didn't know it would meet an audience. Um uh, we had a blast making it. You know, I, I don't know. I, I I uh you know, Bohemian Rhapsody is a fantastic song. <laughs> I I couldn't believe when they said yes. And uh it uh you know Dana Carvey is such a fantastic comedian. It's I went to entertainer school. Working with him, he loves to play. You know, he loves to. Even to this day, you know, I talk to him on the phone, and uh, if he finds a bit that makes me laugh, he just does it. You know what I mean? He's not somebody who's like, you know, the traditional thing of the the morose comedian. Right. He's right. the opposite. He loves. To, he's a frisbee dog, and he loves to. He loves to play. He loves the play of it, and he's the most relaxed performer I've ever met in my life. And even as recently as the 40th anniversary, when we went on after the in memoriam, and it was Jan Hooks's mention, and I love Jan Hooks, and I was crying like a baby, and I said to Dana, I said, "Are, are we dead? Like, are, is we're going on after the in memoriam?" You know, and he said, "No, no, dude, we'll go out there, we'll kick their ass. Don't worry." And I was like, "Yeah, let's do that <laughs> because we put a thousand Bolt of energy into it, dude. Just, and I was like, "Oh yeah," and it's just he—he he knows how to have fun. Yeah, it was just a. So I think those molecules got on the screen to be sure. You know,
1: I believe that that was also the first Wayne's World is where you had a cameo by Alice Cooper. Which is, yes. that, is that how you first met Shep Gordon? Yes, it
0: is. Okay. I, um, I, I, I couldn't believe he said yes originally I wanted Chef Gordon, of course, is Alice Cooper's manager. And I did a movie about Chef Gordon a documentary. I hounded him for 20 years until he said yes. Carl and now a, a character in the Pentaveret. <laughs> yes, he is now a character in the Pentaveret. What I love is I said, Chef, I, I want to do you as a character. And he went, let me stop you right there. Yes. <laughs> I said, oh my God, dude, because I trust you. I know it's going to be good. And, uh,
1: that's a. It was a great documentary you, you made about him, and I guess like was was he your were were you guys always just friends,
0: or was he did he represent you, or just why do you why did you hit it off? When when I wanted the song schools out in in uh, in Wayne's World, and uh, he went no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> well, come on, dude, you know schools out. It's like it's it's punk before punk. It's you know it's so anthemic. And uh, and the other one I wanted was 18, which is another anthem. And he said, uh, we'll, we'll put it in the end credits, uh, but uh, he has a new album out, and it's the song Feed My Frankenstein. I've come to love that song, but at the time it wasn't School's Out, you know. And he so represented Alice in such a fantastic way, and he so cut a really tough deal But I ended up loving him and loving Alice and that I was like, uh, you know, he's just a, he's just a goodie. He's just like a good guy. And then he invited me out to his, his house in Hawaii. And, uh, he's just, there are takers in the world and there's givers, you know, and he gives, he's got the Aloha spirit, you know? Right. Right. And, uh, just, he's a teacher. He's like Del close. He's a teacher.
1: Well, people should should absolutely go watch the doc to better under they'll they'll laugh even harder at the pentagram once they've seen what it's who it's who it's based on. So uh, but now I guess here's something that Lauren said to The New York Times after the first Wayne's World came out, quote, I've been around a long time, but except for John Belushi with Animal House, I've never seen anyone acquire the sudden celebrity Mike did with Wayne's World. Nobody gets through that kind of thing unscathed, close quote. How do you think that sudden celebrity that he's talking about impacted you?
0: I I think it was very weird. Um, I was very grateful for it. I wasn't prepared for it. Um, I love making things. I love show business. I love show more than business. It's an odd, you know, when you leave a wake, you know, it's a very odd, you know, there's, you know, there's many crimes committed in your name, you know, (laughs) I never said that, I never did that. You can't believe that you can be misquoted as much as you are. You can't believe that people would make stuff out of whole cloth. I think we're all kind of hip to it now. We've we've kind of the whole culture's got a lot more savvy as to truth and distortion. But you know, you have to understand where I came from too. I just never, I had nothing in my life experience with a dad that sold encyclopedias and my mom that worked in the office of a factory in a country that's just, it's just not a famous country. It's not like, do you know what I mean? And uh, it was, you know, it was a real
1: adjustment. And I guess in hindsight, was it helpful or harmful to be working as much as you did? Because it seems like every off season you were busy and, and including the one between the two, uh, Wayne's World movies. You did so. I married an axe murderer. That's ninety three. Yes. And in that one, I think it was the first time where you took on not one job but two as an actor.
0: Uh, yeah. I I think that's the last time I wanted to work that frequently. Mm-hmm. I'm still tired from that time. I bet. I bet. You know, I I remember hearing Michael J. Fox when he was doing. Um, oh God, the great show that he was on, Family Ties. That's Family, right. That's yes, Family Ties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said that it tired him out for twenty years. <laughs> uh, I didn't grow up in this world. I grew up in a very different world. I like being away. You know what I mean? And I write my own stuff. It takes time to write stuff. You need time to. You know, Barbara Streisand said it. It, it took her two years to live, one year to write, one year to film, and one year to edit. It's kind of how it is you know what i mean and everything i do is handmade Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of everything is bespoke for me nothing is i i don't think i'm i don't think i'm physically capable of phoning in stuff right right and it's not that i wish i were it's just it it does take a chunk out of you
1: well and that i have
0: two kids under the age of 10 now
1: oh my gosh oh my gosh
0: i you know it it now is you know, something like uh, playing uh, General Fennec in uh, *Inglorious Bastards*, to play a British general, which is like <laughs> yes. in a Tarantino film. Are you kidding me? Right. Play a record executive in Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. Uh, to take two and a half years off to do a documentary on Chef Gordon. You know, I, I never I never stopped working. But that level of film to film to film, I can never do again. And I don't want to do again. And, uh, you know, with the Pentaverite, I just really felt like, you know, my wife, Kelly, and I, we know how to do three kids. We hope we're doing our best. (laughs) We always think you could do better. But I know what that life is. And I felt like I would really love to do another multiple character thing. Mm -hmm. And I actually asked Kelly if she was cool with that. She said, yeah, yeah, we're good. We got it now. We figured it out but it's you know when when kelly got pregnant i got a call from adam sandler the loveliest call ever and he said uh, congratulations you're going to love being a dad i always wanted to be a dad i loved my dad so mm-hmm. i thought i might he said it's uh that feeling you have when you fall in love at the age of 12 only it's every day and right. it's absolutely true and he said the days are the, the days are long, but the years are short. You want to be around for it, so that's what I've tried to do. What, the great thing about doing the documentary on Chef Gordon is I I made it out of my house, so I got to see my kids, you know, and uh, this one I made in England, and I was I was away from them too long, and mm-hmm. that I wouldn't do that again. Mm-hmm. But it came out lots, but during COVID it was it was a
1: challenge. Tough, yeah. Well, I guess the first of those kind of gaps of taking some time was between the second wayne's world in 94 and the first austin powers in 97 i wanted of course you know there were there were then there was austin powers international man of mystery in 97 austin powers the spy who Shagged me in 99 and austin powers in gold member in 2002 so whatever that at three and,
0: and- shreks. there was shreks in there as well
1: oh yes no believe me i'm coming to that but i guess i've got to ask you though just because uh you know for for I don't know if it's a a different generation than the Wayne's World people, but you know, for a, to a certain degree, this was this was an introduction to a whole new wave of of people for for you. And I, I've so I've got to ask the idea of this guy. I think is another one that goes kind of way way back for you, right? In some ways, to the the interactions you had with your dad. Yes,
0: it's um, you know. There's nobody more English than an Englishman who no longer lives in England. And <laughs> my house was a shrine to Britain. And so for for my dad, James Bond, British, you know, was the ultimate. And so I love James Bond movies. Um, and that kind of international man, playboy, that almost mid-Atlantic accent, where you're not quite sure whether they're working class or upper class. And you can't really put your finger on what part of England that he's from, but he's from an era of movie making in Britain. You know, it's almost Michael Caine, but not really. It's almost Edward Fox, but not really. Uh, The most I could think is Anthony Newley. That's the Mm -hmm. accent that I was basing it on more than anything. And this was something I I grew up with. Uh, What I, What Del Close did teach me is, is make the movie or the show that you would want to see Mm -hmm. and create the world that you want to live in. you know what I mean? And one of the things that Lauren was great about was that the movie needs to be a confection. It needs to, it needs to travel lightly, but it needs to have a plot and you need to give a care about the character. And for me, I always wanted, I called it Wayne's world for a reason. I, I liked the world that it was. That was a world growing up, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin Powers was a world that I loved to be in. And I, you know, I, I always remember, you know, that I have said this a lot, and, but, you know, dreams are private movies and movies are public dreams. You want people to enjoy the dream. And, for me, a big influence on Austin Powers was a hard day's night. My mom had always said her favorite characters are happy survivors. So Wayne is a happy survivor, Austin's a happy survivor. And Dell had always talked about that heroes are plastic, they adapt. Um villains are are steadfast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could say the the villain with a thousand faces is that they always try to maintain, and they want to change the world in their image. Heroes accept the world on the world's terms and adapt, mm-hmm. and do so with grace. This is what I loved about that type of hero in those '60s movies, you know, and especially the spy spoofs more than almost even James Bond. So it's totally. almost a spoof of Spice Spoofs more than anything. <laughs> well, and, and you've said, though, that in some ways that
1: to you was such like niche inside baseball sort of humor for, for you and your family that you were skeptical there would be an audience. I know that I believe plenty of studios passed on it before New yes. Line. There's right? much passed on. yeah So and I mean, and, and, and in fact, it wasn't, I think the first one, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't a huge box office hit it was really the beginning of where a video VHS and DVD people caught up with it right that, then the rest of them were but but that was a interesting thing that it took people a little while to catch on to it it's amazing
0: yeah It's, um you know we had I had done Wayne's World on Saturday night live before it was a movie and i feel like and that was on tv before it was a movie and in, in a weird way um Austin one was a TV experience before it was a movie experience in Mm -hmm. in Austin too. Um, But again, I, I thought with both movies, Wayne's world and Austin powers, I thought you'd have to have grown up in my house, (laughs) but this is the influence you started talking about Del close, which is, you know, I, I always kind of see the movies as a toy box, you know, and I want certain toys to, to be, Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at com. Welcome to the family.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So the idea of playing multiple characters in a project, again, it sort of, I guess, goes back to, well, it's obviously SNL you're doing and Second City, a zillion characters. Yes. But, but on screen, um, Axe Murderer, Then now with Austin Powers, I guess it's with enhanced technology that you can be on screen with yourself for the
0: first time. Uh, I uh, a lot of the testing like this is where Jay Roach enters Mm -hmm. and his particular amongst his many geniuses is being able to track both characters, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And 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 make it easy, you know what I mean? Or, or manageable anyways, you know what I mean? Uh, I, there's a lot of, you know, Alec Guinness, even Tony Randall in the, uh, seven faces of Dr. Lau was a big influence. Um, but certainly Peter Sellers in Strange Love, Dare I Speak Its Name amongst my work. (laughs) I, I worship that film and, uh, I dare not even touch the hem of its garment. But (laughs) I know that that's been my highest aspiration is uh, is the work of Peter Sellers, the multiple character work. Um, You know, I got a chance to work with Phil Hartman. I felt Mm -hmm. like he's been the closest to uh, Peter Sellers in this Mm -hmm. country, you know. And, uh, you know, I love I love creating characters. I love. I think it is a little bit of having parents that have thick accents. My dad talked like the Beatles, mm-hmm. but I've always been fascinated by how people talk and the software that creates that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now. So the, the first of the Austin powers was you as Austin and Dr. Evil, the third, or excuse me, the second you're adding fat bastard, fat bastard. Um, and I guess I wonder when you're, you were also involved, very much with the writing of these, was it something where from the beginning you knew you're going to be, this was designed for you to do that, or it was sort of along the way? It,
0: it, the whole of Austin Powers is something that I wrote yeah. and uh, created. Yeah. It was an interesting tightrope to to play multiple characters. And again, this is, again, this is Del Close. You, you started with the right guy. <laughs> uh, you know, for him, entertainment is... It's like sports. You don't know quite how it's going to end. And so what he loved about improv was he said it was like walking on a tightrope. Good improv is like walking on a piano wire over lava with a sniper shooting at you. (laughs) Um, And that engagement into the dream, if you will forgive, I hope it isn't too pretentious. You are drawn into that reality by not knowing how they're going to do something. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. why improv, great improv will always be a recitation or reciting of lines because you're drawn into, will they fall off that piano wire into the lava, you know? right. That's what multiple characters are. And if you have a great team with you, like I have with Tim Kirkby in the Pentaver, who in my opinion is a, is a genius a uh, very, very eccentric Englishman who <laughs> brought this world in the Pentaver to life, or Jay Roach, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. You know,
0: you, you get lucky.
1: Just one last thing on that topic is how much is uh, is Dr. Evil Lauren Michaels?
0: <laughs> it's mostly, it, it's a little Lauren Michaels. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you grow up in Canada, you're issued an, an impression of Lauren Michaels because he's such a <laughs> hero. Uh, and a Quebecois accent. And, right. uh, you know, he's sort of so many people's alpha and omega, you know. You know, I will be forever grateful to Lauren Michaels. He's a Canadian hero, continues to be so. You know, he gave me my break in TV, gave me my break in film, and he's just smart. I couldn't have done Austin Powers if I hadn't worked with Lauren Michaels in Wayne's World. I wouldn't have known what to do. And he was generous enough to take me under his wing and uh, and tell me how the film business works, but also how to how to make a movie. You know, what I mean, so it's as much Blofeld, you know, than it is, Lauren, you know, you write what you know, you know. Right, right. Did he do a pinky thing like that? Uh, Confirm or deny the existence of (laughs) that pinky should that
1: happened. Right, right. Well, so you, you mentioned, and of course, this is overlapping with some of those Austin Powers is the, the Shrek franchise that, again, a whole nother generation. You've, you have covered so many different, uh, demographics of, of moviegoers that, uh, in different, maybe not, not the same people who are watching Wayne's World or watching Shrek or Austin Powers, but with, with Shrek, of course, I guess this is one of those from, from what I read where it's like the idea at first did not necessarily, um, I don't know if it's fair to say that, or if it was some of some, the title, certain things, certain aspects did not bl- blow you away. <laughs> I
0: thought, it, you know, it's the sound you make after having seven molesons you know, <laughs> I, and uh, I, and now it's just the title. But at the time, I go, "That's the title," right. um, and uh, I guess it's the working class in me. Just, it's not that we have to call bullshit, but we, you are, you know, especially if you grow up in a Liverpool house, dude. You know, if it's on the <laughs> lung, it's on the tongue, you know, right, right. Uh, I think uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg was a little taken aback, but
1: <laughs> um, well, he also chose a weird place to to approach you
0: about about doing it, right? Yes, it was in the <laughs> lobby of a theater during a uh, the screen the premiere of uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> and I you know, I had just seen this movie. My parents were in World War II. It's such a gripping movie. It's maybe one of the best war movies ever. And I I I would never want to be in a war, but I love the idiom of war movies. I'm fascinated by what my parents had to go through, you know? And I was just drawn, and Jeffrey Kastenberg says, uh, what'd you think of the movie? I said, Oh my god, it's an epic. I mean, it's it's whatever. And he said, Would you ever wanna be in an animated movie? <laughs> it's like, what? What? <laughs> Uh, Sure. And he said, it's Shrek. And it caught me off guard. And I said, that's a terrible title. (laughs) And Then he told me about it. And I just love the idea of taking this traditional villains from fairy tales and making them the hero and the heroes being the villains. And one of the things my mom always said, which was a big influence on the writing of Dr. Evil for me, was villains are the hero of their own story. Then the writing was so good. Um, I was in, uh, I won I did it as a Canadian at first, but I didn't feel connected to it. And I felt it was too much like Wayne as well. Mm-hmm. Ultimately. And uh, I said, I can do better. And Jeffrey said, but it will cost a lot of money to do it again. <laughs> uh, and then it didn't cost as much as reported. Right. It cost it. Jeffrey, I feel like the number with Jeffrey goes up every year.
1: <laughs> but the story was what, like 60% of it had already been recorded when you guys settled on the Scottish? I wasn't
0: connected to it. I just, I knew I wasn't connected and yeah, I can't phone yeah. it in. And so sure. I said, I I, of course don't want more money. I, right, I just right. want it to be great. And so St- Steven Spielberg said, you know, let me watch it and tell me. And I said, well, listen, let me record a little bit of it as Scottish. And then you decide, but just give me a swing at that bat, dude. Let me let me knock your socks off. And Stephen said, fair enough. And then Steven wrote me this long letter saying, I so think you're right. Thank you so much for caring. I have it framed. It's in my house.
1: That's awesome. And
0: you know, he got it. He got that. I'm, you know, I, I just wanted it to be as connected and as great. You know, it's a it's a lot to ask people to come and see your stuff, you know. I just totally. wanted it to be the best that it could be. And Jeffrey was fantastic afterwards. It's just well, the uh, thing that Jeffrey drives me not <laughs> to sell. <laughs> and it didn't. <laughs>
1: right. Well, we should just say that the first Shrek hair was 2001. Obviously like all of them, a, a big box office hit, but also won the first Oscar for best animated feature, which put dreamworks animation on the map. Shrek two is in 2004, Shrek the third, 2007 Shrek forever after 2010 and then basically the, the, you know, the years between that and the Pentaveret were, as you talked about, some of these, uh, cool, smaller roles in, in high profile projects, whether it's Inglorious Bastards for Quentin in 2009 or Bohemian Rhapsody 2018, both best picture nominated films. But I guess, you know, what, what's so exciting about the Pentaverit is that, This is really the first time, I guess, since the Austin Powers films that we are seeing you go full Mike Myers in the sense of playing a zillion characters. I mean, how many are how many characters are you playing
0: in this? Eight characters.
1: Oh, my God. And and uh, it's been and you created it, produced it, uh, uh, are writing on this. And basically also just the concept, because I don't know if everybody knows what the word Pentaverite means, but this actually goes back again to so I married an ax murderer. There's a there's a clip that I didn't realize this until I was prepping. This was something that was sort of like a throwaway line for you. Twenty nine
0: years ago. I have been obsessed with secret organizations <laughs> my entire life. <laughs> um, I think that's a little bit growing up in Canada next to America, which seems like this massive secret organization. But also too, my mom had a top secret security clearance during World War II, which I didn't find out about until 1985 But um, it's just, you know, I have been obsessed with the idea of the Masons, the Illuminati. Uh, And then in the last little while, what sort of happened is experts are elites and elites are bad and experts are bad. And I'm like, I don't feel that way growing up in Canada. I was like, I actually liked the government, as I was saying before. Uh, And then I thought, well, what if it was a secret organization and what if the world was run by five people and have since the black plague, but what if they were always nice? Yeah. What if, what if the world would have been as horrible as the world can be at times? What if it had been even more horrible had these people put in, had not put a benevolent right spin on this and that. And uh, in the, in the show, I use the, the analogy of uh, of a uh, ball bearing, you know, because that during World War II, the Allies spend a lot of time getting rid of ball bearings because even though it's tiny, without a ball bearing, you can't have a tank, you can't have a truck, you can't have an anti-aircraft gun, you can't have anything. And that's what I thought that the Pentaver was, as I made right. it up, was the smallest working unit, but one of the most essential. And that they, they don't really run the world, but they put a benevolent spin on things so that they're not worse. Right. And so that's the premise. And so I went to Netflix and I said, the show idea I have is I would be multiple character and they were really happy about that. And I said, it's, what if five people ran the world? What if they were nice and what if I played all five people?
1: Right. Right. Like,
0: okay. And, (laughs) and then here we are. Netflix has been fantastic.
1: Yes. And, and I know that, uh, you know, people are very excited because the trailers recently come out and the show is coming soon, but, um, I was able to see the the first episodes, and and it is amazing. I think, as honestly, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but as a kid watching, I think the first uh, the first Lost Powers, I didn't even realize that you were both guys. And this, I think, there are going to be people who have that experience here, where it's unbelievable. Like some of them, you are unrecognizable. Um, have got a a Russian kind of uh, oligarch, oligarch, right? An old British guy. Um, who, Jay Zed, I, I crapped up. About. Oh yeah. Thanks. Uh, so anyway, uh, I guess in all the, and of course, Shep Gordon, you are one of the people you're playing. So was it fun to go back to doing
0: this? Yeah, it was so much fun. It's, um, you know, Netflix gave me a tremendous playground. Uh, Tim Kirkby did a fantastic job and it's just a joy, you know, I, I, it's, it's so much fun. And, uh. I'm thrilled. You know, I, I, I don't know how to put it any other way. I, I had a fantastic time and I'm, I'm really, really proud of it. That's
1: great. Well, something for a lot of people to look forward to in in the coming weeks and uh, thank you for many years of, of laughs. I really
0: appreciate it. Thank you, sir. What a a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thanks very much for tuning into awards chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us.
0: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.